You're listening to the Association Mashup. Explorations at the intersection of technology and culture. Hosted by Maddie Grant, culture designer at Propel. And Rick Bauckham, CEO and founder at Symmetry. I'm Maddie Grant, here with my co-host Rick Bauckham. Our two organizations, Propel and Symmetry, help associations work through culture change and technology change, respectively. And of course, the two are inextricably linked in so many ways. Hi, I'm Rick Bauckham, the CEO of Symmetry, and I'm here with Jamie Nodder and Maddie Grant, my colleagues who I really trust to talk about culture and communication in the association space. Uh, my kind of claim to fame is to talk about technology, and this whole podcast is really about the intersection of culture, technology, and how it affects associations and, and how we're all operating in this new normal. So welcome, uh, Jamie, and welcome, Maddie. Hello, hello. Yeah, so we're super excited because this is our inaugural episode for the brand new Association Mashup podcast. And we thought, what a great topic to kick us off is the return to work and how technology and culture are super enmeshed. You know, it's it's just a perfect example. So, um, Jamie, we're uh, going to turn it over to you to just give us a little bit of your spiel about the how culture really fits into this whole picture. Sure. I want to say thank you for inviting me. I am excited about this podcast. Maybe I had a little inside connection <laughs> to get the first guest spot. Just a little. Yeah. Um, but I am excited about it. I'm excited about the conversation. I mean, my sort of opening points around the tech and culture considerations for returning to the workplace, which should not be a surprise to anyone, is that I think culture comes first. Specifically in the ebook we just put out, I, I pointed to four culture decisions you need to make because everyone's going back to the workplace now and they're treating it as a logistical challenge, yeah. right? What tech do we need? What cameras do we need? All of which are, you know, important stuff. But before you do that, you got to answer the culture question. So really briefly, because we can dig into whichever ones you want to on these. Number one is around customization, around employee needs, because that's what the pandemic did for us. We suddenly let everyone work wherever they want, whenever they want, as long as they got the results done, which I think most people ended up doing. Um, that shift towards customization, it's so funny when I see the return to work. They just, people are erasing that. It's like, it's like, oh, we're going to open the office again. So here's your schedule. Marketing, I need you in on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And, and the other folks, I want you on Wednesdays and Friday. It's like we're scheduling like it's a factory, right? Like we went completely yeah. reverse when people used to have total control over everything. Um, mm -hmm. So culturally speaking, like that toothpaste is out of the tube, that customization piece. So you have to decide. Am I going to go back to command and control or am I going to embrace customization of the work experience? Well, and I, um, I want to jump in here because I think you I think we need to mention the, the great resignation. Right. So there's there's actual consequences for not thinking about this, which is that people are walking away. They're like, no, I'm not I'm not just going to come back in the office like before, because I know that I can do my work just as well from home now. Yeah, we hear this all the time from our clients is, you know, how do we get back to normal? Well, I think what that what that phrase, that question is really missing the point, because I, I believe you're exactly right, Jamie and Maddie, that the, the culture needs to set the stage and we're not going back. The, it's, it, that just needs to be the, the, the statement we all accept is that we're not going back to how it was. And because 
I believe that the pandemic really just accelerated this this trend that was already in play right mm-hmm. we there's been a lot of talk over the years about the fourth industrial revolution and the blurring of physical and digital and we're certainly in that space right yeah. now i mean we how many times do you look at your iphone every day right. right so you know the definition of workplace and workforce are fundamentally different and technology needs to follow i agree with you jamie that culture needs to lead technology will follow. Yeah. And that's the, the workplace piece is sort of the second decision. Cause, um, and I mean that, that feels like that's sort of the whole topic of, of our conversation today is sort of return to the workplace. But from a culture point of view, I think we need to rethink the value of the workplace. Like why do we need a place to come together to do work? Cause I think actually we do, right? Like I don't think I mean, some people will go all virtual forever and that's cool. Uh, A lot of people won't, but like to your point, like in the old days, we all went to one office. Why? Because it used to be a factory, right? And in a factory, you have to do work in the factory. You don't get to work at home when you work in a factory. And that model was simply applied to office buildings. And we just did everything in the office because that's what you do. And now I think we need to be intentional and start carving out actually hey, this is where we go when we need to have long collaborative conversations. Or this is a place we go when we need to be quiet and by ourselves. You could literally create an office that has space for people to be quiet because they can't do that at home with all their kids homeschooling, right? Like, but And so it doesn't really matter what it is. It just means I think we need to be intentional about choosing how we use our space and how it contributes uh, culturally to what we're trying to achieve. There's Maybe. also uh, how you use the office um, to be social, right? Because that's a big thing that, that um, organizations are worried about is how to maintain those kind of informal relationships and the social time. So, you know, what if your office was like the big, you know, cafeteria now, and that's where people come just to get together. Um, but, but yes, being intentional is, is the key. And of course that intention leads to what space planning decisions you make and what technology decisions you make. Yeah. We don't have to look too far into our past to, I, I know that one of the biggest complaints in the before times, however we define that was how much time we waste in meetings. Remember that, mm-hmm. right? That was a culture, that was a culture dynamic not too long ago. Right. And now we're all rushing and, and you know, uh, wanting to get back to those meetings in one way, shape or form. And I think we're rushing to get back to collaboration, however we define that. But, you know, we don't have to look too far back to think about, wow, our culture was, wow, we waste way too much time in meetings and not enough time doing work. So I think that's a dynamic to think about as we redefine what workplace looks like. And I think place is, I to me, um, untethered is the word that comes to mind. Now, workplace is no longer about location, uh, though, you know, I, I joke that this pandemic has been an existential event for extroverts, and I'm not an extrovert. So it's, you know, it's been perfectly fine for me. So, but I get that social dynamic. But I think redefining collaboration is part of the cultural dynamic that we need to figure out. Is it is collaboration face to face? We tend to have equated those. Yeah, I hear a lot of um, like I think this is particularly true at the C-suite, but I hear a lot of people lamenting the fact that we don't run into each other in the hallways. 
mm-hmm. right? We don't have these spontaneous conversations and that's what's missing. And that's what we, that's why we need to go back to the office. And I'm like, I'm okay with spontaneous conversations, but I, I also bring back the theme of intentionality. Like, really, you couldn't just send an IM to someone and randomly connect with them? You couldn't do that virtually? Right. Uh, you, couldn't, you couldn't intentionally sort of think about who do I need to meet with? I was talking to somebody um, at the meeting that we just had for our family of companies. And what if you just let somebody come into your Zoom meeting for your department who's not in your department on a regular basis? Just so they could hear randomly that conversation you're having for a little bit and maybe contribute something. You could do it. There's a million ways that you could have spontaneous, uh, unsort of predictable conversations that, that generate this, this wonderful collaboration that we say we have virtually. And we just don't try. We just default to saying, no, we got to go back to being in person and randomly connect with people. It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I think the structures have to change. And I think, that, you know, the management has to change more than anything right yeah. and i know in our world we we have been 100 percent virtual since we started six years there's a dozen of us and we've never had an office and i and i think one of the uh constructs that we embraced during the pandemic which has been really powerful is the idea of the daily huddles um you know in 15 to 20 minutes we can get that hallway dynamic uh in a very concentrated very intentional way uh, in a 15-minute phone call with everybody in the company, mm-hmm. uh, and we've we've been using that structure uh, to make sure that our culture is connected around what other people are doing. Now, you know, it's not the same as the happy hour Fridays. I get that, and we have to do that intentionally in a different mm-hmm. way. But in terms of that collaboration and um, and cross-functional activities, that's that's a powerful tool. Yeah, we actually, in one of the case studies in When Millennials Take Over, did that. This is five years ago when we wrote this book, but um, they did that in person. They were very much an in-person office. Um, and But what was cool, so they, and there were 50 people, so they'd be all around the room and they would just go around all 50 people, just say, what are you working on today? Uh-huh. Every day for, you know, 10 minutes. But the cool part, and Maddie and I were there researching, we got to watch this. The cool part is once the meeting broke up, then all the people would connect to have ex- yeah, they would additional all split conversation, off and right? Little, it's like, oh, you're working on that project? I did that last week. Let me go tell you what I was doing. Huh, right. um, and so, again, that's as easily done via Zoom as it is in person, right? Um, right. But those conversations still happen. And so, again, I, I feel like we're, when it comes to space and when it comes to collaboration, we are doing the same thing we did about scheduling people in shifts. We're going back. We are defaulting to command and control as we think about how to move forward to this. I don't know. Maybe it just makes us feel better or we're more safe, but like we're not like taking the next step forward to say, ah, let's do collaboration completely differently. Let's, you know how easy it is to click admit in a, on a Zoom call or a Teams call? It's so easy now to get different voices in the conversation, but we're pretending like because it's virtual, it's hard and I. Again, I'm sort of confused by that. It kind of circles back to our original premise, right, is that culture is what drives this, right? And I think of culture as largely set by the management team, the leadership team. And, you know, if the leadership team says, go collaborate, all you people, right, (laughs) then uh, that puts the onus on them to figure it out. 
And if you set up structures as simple as, so, you know, the huddles that we do every day, that's a, that's a construct borrowed mm -hmm. from, you know, agile uh, software development. Mm -hmm. We've been doing that in the technology space for years, daily standups, mm -hmm. you know, burn down lists, all those kinds yeah. of things. Um, that's got to be set by the leadership tone, right? That how, how we're going to collaborate and what those expectations are. We used to expect, uh, I can't, I can't imagine how many hours over the 40 plus years that I've been in the, the professional space, how many hours I've wasted being the also included person in a meeting over 40 <laughs> years, right? We'll have him here just in case. I've actually had clients fly me to New York to be in a meeting just in case, right? How much of that is wasted energy? It's funny though. I think that is a technology thing, and I want to know what the burn down list is. <laughs> that sounds exciting. So it's, the, it's so the burn down list is the the candidates for what's next, yeah. right? So I finished all my to do list, and here's the things that I want to bring oh, so forward. So like your backlog. And, yeah, your backlog. Got exactly. It, it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and especially in the association, I, this has been true in all the industries I've been in. But you think about everybody's always got more to do on their list than they can get done in a day. And it's just a way of managing that to-do list. So powerful. So, tool. Do you think there's a bit of fear from the leadership side of letting people loose already? I mean, there's, I guess there's, there has traditionally been a sense that if you're, if you're not in the office, you know, I can't see what you're doing. And obviously the pandemic blew that up completely because people people's work was still getting done it probably even better than before but but well Jamie you can talk about about this like the whole accountability side and I think it dovetails yeah. into collaboration structures yeah the the, the fourth decisions around collaborate uh, around accountability and supervision because like you said I think I mean literally the root of the word supervision is to oversee. Right. Again, it's very factory based. I have a form in there to make sure the workers are doing their work. I will look at them and make sure. And if they don't, I will punish them. Uh, so supervision, but supervision from your, your culture's point of view, you have to decide, like, what is the purpose and role of supervision? Why do we have supervisors? Why do we have reporting relationships? It's typically around quality control and learning right? And developing employees that you're connecting with people who sort of uh, have a higher view. Um, and we traditionally relied on the fact that as a supervisor, I got to like show up in your office and talk to you or something and make sure you're doing work and ask how it's going and give you support and feedback that way. But it's, it's, it happens sort of in the office. I don't think we really have a new model for how to hold people accountable. I mean, actually sort of to Rick's point earlier, like, I think things like huddle systems, daily huddle, weekly huddle, and metrics dashboards are going to replace the, I'm going into your office to making sure you're doing the work stuff. Like for me, yeah. it's more about that, that transparency piece and just making results visible and having those conversations constantly. Accountability and, 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 and a lot of what we used to call supervision, I think just sort of doesn't go away, but it happens so much more easily if you put the systems in place. Yeah, I think we've talked for decades now about, you know, being 
uh, different leadership style, right? And I, uh, I know in my own world, what I tend to do is when when I, when I when there's a failure, I tend to ask myself, what did I do as a leader to set that person up for failure? And I don't think that's what we all learned in B school. We learned command and control. Um, you know, if we're rooted in industrial management practices, as you said, it's about butts and seats. Mm-hmm. I can observe you doing your work. Uh, and to me, that's a leadership failure, right? We failed to set the boundaries and empower the workforce. And it's a it's a low trust environment. And that's an overused kind of metaphor. But yeah. I think what we've learned during the pandemic is that trust is the currency uh, between, you know, leadership and the workforce. You know, as we're talking, I'm because we're always very optimistic, Jamie and I, and I think Rick, you are too. But I, I'm kind of wondering to myself, is there like a dark side to this where technology could be used to supervise? Like we already know about, you know, time tracking apps and all of that. And now there's all these apps that are just automatically, they just appear on your laptop that tell you how much time you spent online and which is you know, ostensibly for a good purpose, like, you know, get up and take a walk every hour, you know, whatever. But I feel like those same exact technologies could ultimately be used to keep tabs on what people are doing at home on their laptops as much as so the, Bureau, <laughs> the Bureau of Labor, the Bureau of Labor Statistics manages productivity in a completely flawed way, in my opinion, <laughs> right? Because they they measure productivity exactly that way, right? It's how much time do you spend in front of your work, not how much outcome you're measuring from your work. And I think that's the flaw, yeah. right, is that we have uh, as leaders, we've tended to manage around you know, output measured by, you know, how much time do you spend in front of your workstation or how much, how much time are you spending with your butt in that seat? And I think that's, that's fundamentally flawed. And it's, it's a, it's a cultural decision writ large for Mm -hmm. us as a society to figure out how we manage productivity. Because if you go back to the huddles and the OKRs, the operate up, you know, the objectives and key results kinds of approach, you're measuring outcomes. Are you looking for outcomes uh, rather than output? How much dust you're creating yeah. doesn't matter. I was going to say, I put in the white paper, um, I said, I'm going to make HR really mad here, but this is the beginning of the end of the hour as an increment of work. And because HR gets mad at me when I say that, because like, well, we have labor laws that we, I'm like, okay, fine. I don't have an answer to the labor law issue <laughs> uh, that requires you to you know, pay attention to hours worked. And I understand the reason for having those labor laws. I'm not saying we shouldn't have labor laws, but (laughs) the concept that a work is, is an hour is an increment of work is just ridiculous at this point. Um, I mean, like this is, this is at the heart of what Maddie and I do when we, with our coaching clients is like, you gotta get away. Like you just said, Rick, from this sort of what, what are the 20 things you're going to do? And how much time is it going to take? And you got to get towards where do we need to be three months from now? Where do we need to end up? Like what, 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 what results are we shooting for? And then what metrics do we need to track along the way that'll tell us if we're off track? Like that's it. You got your, your lagging indicators where you want to be. That's your target. And it's, it's, it's clear and understandable. 
And then what are you looking at that's going to say, hey, we only have this many of these at this point. That concerns me. I feel like if we only if we only have 80 of these people that have downloaded or expressed interest, then we're not going to hit that target we have. So what do we need to do differently? Um, so the accountability piece, the other, I mean, the cult, the other cultural side of accountability and supervision that I don't think we're, we spend enough time on is that accountability is ultimately about learning, right? Holding people accountable is not about punishing them for screwing up. It's about when we didn't hit the result that we thought we were going to, why, what faulty assumptions did we make? What data did we not have? What was wrong about our model that we can fix for the next time? That accountability is like, you should be excited about accountability because it's about learning and improving um, rather than sort of like, oh, I don't want to be held accountable for that. That's such a hard uh, message yeah. though, right? It's so ingrained in people to be afraid of, of that word somehow. Yeah. But if you, um, if we turn our command and control leadership model on its head and say the accountability starts at the top, right? Because again, going back to if, if there's a failure, it's a leadership failure always because we either, you know, didn't set up the boundaries properly or, mm-hmm. you know, give the right, um, you know, parameters mm-hmm. for success yeah. or whatever, at least in my world, that's what I tend to believe. And I, I think that turns the command and control leadership model on its head. You start at the top with accountability. If you can set the outcomes that you're looking for, uh, that's that's the way to do it. And that, you know, the technologies, um, you know, part of what we're trying to to mix up here is how culture and technology intersect. There, you know, there are so many ways, as you pointed out, Jamie. There's no reason you can't have an impromptu Slack conversation, and it could be a video, it could be a phone call, it could be the equivalent of a phone call. Uh, you know, all of those things are still available to us. For some reason, we make these binary choices between digital, not digital, face-to-face, not face-to-face. And we, we put all these artificial boundaries in place based on our before times behavior or how we got here. Uh, and I, you know, we, I know in our own little family of companies, we have people all over the world, mm-hmm. right? And we can have impromptu conversations anytime. And, uh, you know, we're not perfect at it, uh, but uh, I, I think with our clients, we're starting to see them adopt the things like the slacks and the the asanas and the trellos and the uh you know the aligned systems and all of those things and those are, are good, great examples of how the technology follows the culture right if you if you don't make those decisions first this is actually what prompted this whole ebook was a conversation rick and i had a long a while ago about this but like if you don't make those decisions first you're going to be off on all your other logistical stuff right like you're going to try and figure out what kind of technology you need and how many cameras you need and how much what you're going to do with your office space and if you haven't decided if you if you this is rick's i'm quoting rick back to him on this one he's like <laughs> first you tell me if you want to create a work from anywhere culture like do you, is right. that what you want because then i can give you technology advice but if you're still thinking industrial tuesdays and thursdays and you need you in the office that's the rule then that's a different path um and so all of these like rethinking how you want to do super supervision rethinking what collaboration looks like and relationship building and how you want to do that the role of space like make those core decisions like you won't decide everything but sort of like which path are you going to go down make that call uh and then dive into the logistics uh and, and i think you'll be more successful
Yeah, because I can give you the technology that'll monitor whether your butt's in the seat or not, <laughs> right? I can give you those kinds of technologies. That's not, that's that is not a driver though. Uh, that's that's a result. That's an outcome uh, that you, you once you've made that culture decision. And I think, you know, it, the collaboration topic is the one we hear the most about. Oh, we're afraid about, you know, the water cooler conversations, hallway conversations, and all that. And I think we've addressed that in in some of the the conversation so far, but I think just fundamentally rethinking what does collaboration look like, right? Because we have equated face-to-face -face and collaboration as being the same thing. Uh, and there are lots of ways now. I mean, I collaborate with my granddaughter who lives in Texas by FaceTime yeah. all the time, right? And, uh, you know, that to me, that's, um, is it as enjoyable as having her sitting right next to me? Probably not. But, you know, it's uh, certainly a, an accommodation uh, to where I am and where she is and, you know, the social and, and uh, health dynamics of the current situation. Right. And Rick, I, I want to yeah, actually I... throw it over to you for a second, because my question is around who needs to be in the room to make these culture decisions as part of you know, the question of returning to the workplace or hybrid workplace or whatever. Like, are there people missing from those initial meetings that you're having with clients or not missing, but who should be in the room? So um, I certainly, I don't know that I have done a nose count in terms of who should be in the room. Well, who the people I am seeing in the room are, uh, I'm certainly seeing boards uh, participating in the how we want to participate in things like the inclusiveness and, uh, you know, equity, diversity, those kinds of conversations are going on at the board level, uh, which is one tone ar around what kind of culture you want to set, right, or part of the culture decision. And I'm seeing uh, the leadership, uh, the, the CEOs and COOs and CFOs of those organizations are certainly having those conversations about what kind of culture do we need. And the most progressive ones that I'm, I'm uh, working with are saying we're leaving it in the hands of the, the teams mm -hmm. to decide how and when they want to come back, whatever that means, yeah. to the physical space. And I think that's I'm encouraged by some of my uh, conversations are, hey, we're this team, the accounting team defined, hey, they want to be in the office together one day a week. And that's fine. But they defined that same thing for membership and others. And, um, you know, this this intersects with the talent search that is going on across the board. We used to think of, I mean, one of the reasons I'm in DC, I moved here six years ago because the association market's kind of centered here, right? Well, none of my clients, certainly if they the last 18 months have asked us to be in their facility. Right. So, you know, my team is now nationwide. I've got people East coast, West coast and everything in between uh, with a dozen people. So I, the, I think the, you know, if you take the assumption that, the leadership style is delegated to the C's, to the C-suite. Uh, boards are participating in and endorsing those decisions made by the C-suites about the kind of culture that they want to create. Because fundamentally, leadership is still delegated to the C-suite. Yeah, well, I'm actually doing a workshop starting next week 
with a nonprofit in Canada to to tackle the culture decisions, and they the first question they asked is, "Can we have more than the C suite in this workshop?" And I'm like, "Yes, it's virtual. Like, knock yourselves out." Like, so they've. I mean, I think they're about 300 people, but they've got at least 20 participating in in these virtual conversations, which will change the nature of the conversations. 20 people on Zoom. It's that's different than six, right? So that's a choice you make to expand the conversation. Um, but it also offers the opportunity for them to sort of, again, with 20 people, some people are going to be relatively passive in those conversations, the live conversations, but this offers the opportunity for them to go back to their office, which is actually Zoom, um, and have additional conversations with each other about the implications. So I actually structured the workshop instead of being like four hours, it's four one hour calls so that there's Uh a week in between for them to sort of noodle on it and, and process some stuff that we can bring back as we start the next call. Um, and I was, so I was like, I'm impressed that they, their first thought was expand the pie, like get more people in. Um, this is, this is what we do with our culture work. We're always trying to get people from the front lines in those conversations. Um, so I was glad to see that they're moving in that direction. Yeah, I think that's awesome. I think that there's two kind of uh, decisions for me around how you structure work. One is how digital is it, right? Or versus how physical is it? Do I need to be moving materials and, you know, those things from place to place? Uh, and the other is how synchronous or asynchronous is the workflow? I mean, how how much am I handing off to the next whatever in the chain? I mean, I'm a, I'm a Six Sigma person from way back when, and they taught us in manufacturing to eliminate all of that handoff time as much as possible, eliminate all that white space. Well, you know, in, in our world today, it's not as it's not as much of an issue. The handoffs can be very asynchronous. The work can still be done, even though I'm not handing it off physically to the next desk or the next workstation. So, you know, how digital is the work versus how physical is the work? And then how synchronous or asynchronous can the workflow be? And I think what we where we are today is largely it's largely digital and it's can be mostly asynchronous and untethered. Those are kind of the three dynamics for me. Yeah. So this, we're right about at time, which is awesome. Um, and we wanted to end every episode with a key takeaway from each person in the conversation. Um, and I've heard a few takeaways already today, <laughs> I think. Um, but let me just shoot it over. Jamie, what's your key takeaway that you want everyone to remember from this conversation? Uh, so the, the key takeaway for me is about mindset in, re- in return to the workplace. Like even that phrase, which Maddie and I have been using for a while, return to the workplace or reopen the office. You're not going back to the workplace. You're not reopening something. You are creating something new, right? Even if you go back to that office and it's the same office you had before and it feels like you're just reopening it, I get it. But from a mindset point of view, think about creating not reopening or going back. You are creating a new office, a new culture, uh, something new. So like if, if you don't start with that mindset, it's going to be, again, sort of thrown off. So think about creating and, and doing new things. Awesome. Rick, what's yours? Oh, it's hard for me to narrow it down <laughs> to one, but I'll, I saw I'll throw out a couple. Uh, one is that this digital workforce is now largely untethered uh, and, and they're going to stay that way. There's, we're not going back. Uh, and, you know, um, along with that is location is now a personal choice, not a corporate choice. 
so we're not we're not now going to our corporate choices for locations. We're making our personal choices and the locations for uh, the corporate choices will follow that. So location is now a personal choice. And then the last one for me is remember that collaboration is not the same as face-to-face and, -face you know, sitting in a meeting. Because uh, that, I, I, it's not that long ago that I recall us complaining about how much meeting time <laughs> we spent uh, beforehand. So let's balance out this need for collaboration and face-to-face -face with the, uh, we're looking for outcomes and not meeting time outputs. So those are my takeaways. Awesome. And for mine, I think I was really struck by the idea that if we're not having these conversations about intentionality and mindset and outcome-driven work, you know, and, and all of these things that we've been talking about today, then it's actually, it's a struggle because the the old ways will creep back in if we're not paying attention, right? Like that kind of came up a few times that if we don't talk about these issues and um, really spread the word about a new and better way to do things, then it's easy for things to creep back into ways that we know, you know, we know we're not happy with. I like your words, intentionality. We have to be intentional mm -hmm. about recognizing that this is different. Yeah. We're in a different yeah. place. Awesome. With that, we're going to wrap up today's inaugural episode of the Association National. Thank you, Daniel. If you like this conversation, subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast platform. And please share it with your friends. And visit us at symmetry.com and propelnow.co.